Amen. Before we get into uh, the verses this morning, I just, by way of reminder, um, this is an epistle. This is a letter that the, the Apostle Paul is writing to a young pastor named Timothy. And, and you remember, uh, Timothy was one of Paul's protégés, sidekicks. They had done quite a bit of ministry together. Paul took uh, Timothy with him on his second and third missionary journeys. And now the Apostle Paul is parting ways with Timothy. Timothy is being left at the church of Ephesus to stay there and to help get things um, going in the right direction for the congregation. Um, as we read through um, 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy, we can glean from or we can recognize from the scriptures, from the texts, that there were some issues going on in the church. And we covered some of those in chapter 1. There was false teaching going on in the church. And so within the church, there were issues. Timothy himself um, had issues, not particularly with him, but people in the congregation had issues with Timothy because of his age. And so they had looked down upon Timothy. And Timothy's, Paul said to Timothy, what? Let no one despise your youth. Hey, don't give anyone any ammo. You live a godly life. You walk with Jesus. And let that evidence, let the, the growth in your life spiritually be evidence that there's, there's nothing to reproach you about or say anything badly about, uh, about your walk with the Lord or who you are. And so Paul, Timothy also dealt with a tummy troubles, tummy issue. He had some kind of physical issue, and the Apostle Paul encouraged him in that as well. And sometimes in ministry, we have physical issues, don't we? Sometimes in ministry, there's things that come up as we're serving Jesus that may, may hurt us and harm us physically, but the Lord wants to still use our lives because His grace is sufficient his strength is made perfect in our weakness. Amen? And so something else that Timothy was dealing with, no doubt persecution there in Ephesus, that was a gnarly town to minister in with persecution, but also the culture of Ephesus. It was a sex-saturated city with the worship of Artemis, Diana. It was, the, the, the city was, was centralized, or the, the, the center of the city was the worship of this false goddess. And people from all over the world would travel there just to worship um, at this temple. And the culture, sadly, began to permeate into the church. In other words, the church began to take some of the cues from the world. Worldly attitudes, adopted worldly attitudes, um, worldly beliefs, direction, the way they did things. And the Apostle Paul, we're going to see in a little while, one of those things was a low view of marriage also. And so Paul will give the charge to Timothy Here's some areas that need to get shored up, to get tightened up in the church. And so we're going to see some of those things this morning. And um, again, these are God's biblical expectations for us as men and women, as godly men and women in the church. Um, these are relevant for today as well. God's Word is always relevant, by the way. Amen? Heaven and earth will pass away, Jesus said, but my words will not. They are eternal. His word is always, listen, his word is always relevant, always hip, always cool, always perfect, always on time. We always need to hear 
his word and every bit of it. I don't know how many churches are teaching this passage this morning, by the way. It's easy, it's easy to be at a church where the, where the pastor or the pastors pick and choose the, the things they want to teach and conveniently skip a passage like this this morning because it might be offensive to some. And here's the deal. At some point, you will be offended. If I got correct? No, I never get offended. I'm always good. There's times we get offended. There's some hard words, aren't there? Some tough pills to swallow, and we need every bit of it. We need the steak, the potatoes, the spinach. Because I'm strong to the finish. <laughs> You're like, what does that even mean? Google Popeye. No. Sorry. Read your Bible. So what is beautiful to God? What pleases Him? We want to please the Lord this morning as a church. Do we want to please the Lord? He's going to tell us here what pleases him within the church and so within the body of Christ. We're going to get instructions. There's a strong emphasis on surrender and order. Is order important? Do you guys like order? That's about like a third of the room. Do you guys like, do you like air conditioning? Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Do you know air conditioning involves order? You don't just go turn air, come, you go and you... And then it, it triggers a whole, right, order that goes on. Do you guys like to drive? Do you guys drive? Or do you have a self-driving car? Do you, do you drive yourself to church? You need to what? Get your key or do you maybe press a button, right? It ignites. There's order. You've got to do all these steps for, for you to get to point A to point B, right? And so the Lord wants us to get from point A to point B this morning, in our walk with him, and corporately as a church, as we walk together. And so, let's, well, that's enough of an intro. Let's do it. Y'all ready for this? Does that sound like a song? <laughs> Y'all ready for this? Here's what God's Word says. I, Paul writes, I desire, therefore, that the men pray everywhere, Lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. In like manner also that the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or, or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing godliness with good works. Let a woman learn in silence with all submission, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man, but to be in silence. For Adam was to continue in faith, love, and holiness with self control. Everybody got that? Let's move on to chapter three. <laughs> All right, let's do it. Dudes, here we go. What does Paul say? He says, number one, I desire. And that's not like, hey, this is my opinion. Man, I think you should do this. Paul is communicating this instruction to us 
um, from a position of apostolic authority. Paul was an apostle. God had chosen him to write much of the New Testament. And we know that all Scripture is God-breathed, right? And so this is instruction from the Holy Spirit through his word to us this morning. And so what are the men to do? The men are to, are to pray. Number one, men pray. Men, we are to have a continual, constant communion with the true and the living God. We are to be in contact with, in communication with, our Lord each and every day. And you know, what that, you know what that means? That means we are to have a vibrant relationship with Jesus if we are to be men of prayer. And I think, this is my own opinion, um, one of the hardest things for dudes to do is to pray. How do I know that? Because of the prayer meetings that we have and the turnout. You know who, who typically comes? Who, who typically comes for prayer? The gals do. And so we as men in the church, our instruction is to be praying. And I would say the spiritual weakness of men in the church overall is directly connected to our lack of prayer. That's a heavy word. Let me repeat it. Our, the spiritual weakness of men in the church overall is directly linked to or connected to our lack of time in prayer. How much better off would we be if we were men of prayer? If we really were the prayer warriors in the church? That's what Paul is saying here. Men in the church should be known for prayer. And he says where we should be praying. Where should we be praying? Everywhere. Not just at the prayer meeting. Not just after church or before church service goes. But we're to be praying everywhere. And you know what I hear from men a lot, dudes? I don't have time for prayer. I just don't have to, you don't know how busy my schedule, I got to close deals, I got this going on, I got I to gotta fix this and fix that. Guess what? Those are the best times to be praying. That's everywhere. When you're closing that deal, you should be praying. When you're getting ready, you guys ever have to fix something and it's real difficult? And then you're about two or three hours in and then all of a sudden, duh, I should have prayed. And then you pray and what happens? Boom, it gets fixed. You guys ever, that doesn't happen to you guys, just me? Am I just the only? Pray everywhere, no matter where you are. Lifting up holy hands. How are we doing in that department? Man, lifting up holy hands. Can we do an exercise real quick? Can all of us raise our hands real quick, just for a second? Everybody, if you're not, repent immediately if you're not lifting up your hands. Look around the room how awesome that is. Now, gal, now, gals, drop your hands, and dudes, hold your hands up. Just the dudes, not hard. Just the guys. Now, look around the room. Now, everyone knows what it's like when you lift your hands. You don't need to be embarrassed or afraid. Okay? Because what do we typically do? To the king of kings. 
holy. I'm too cool. <laughs> you know, I was thinking about it this week. When, as men, when do we lift our hands? J.J. Watt, yes, way to go. I got your number on, bro. Yeah, hallelujah. You did it. Altuve went deep. He hit the home run to win the game. I got 27 on. Yes, way to go. He did it. No, that doesn't resonate. How about this? Let's let's do it, man. Come on, bring it. (laughs) Got a problem? No, how about this one? I was driving this week and someone lifted up their hand to me. (laughs) And it wasn't wasn't one-way Jesus. (laughs) Yeah, bro, I I see the cross in your car. When are we to lift up our hands? Why? What does that even mean? Well, we, we know if we just think about it, you know, we, our kids, right, they lift up, when they're little, they lift up their hands, pick me up, dad, help, I want to be close to you, right? If someone points a gun at you, what do you do? Hands up, right, surrender. But I've never really studied to see biblically when do men lift their hands, because if I'm supposed to be lifting up holy hands to the Lord as a man, as a godly man in this church and in my home, and everywhere the Lord would lead my feet, what does that even look like? Well, I took some notes. Number one, the first time we see it is Moses requested relief from the plague of the hail and thunder in prayer. He lifted up his hands to the Lord and requested relief from judgment that was coming upon unbelievers. Interesting, right? The next time we find Moses lifting his hands is when the children of Israel, God's people, came out of Egypt and the, this people group called the Amalekites. Remember them? I know it's hard to keep all the ites you know, separated, the, the, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Amalekites. The Amalekites attacked, and Moses, when he had his hands lifted, the people of God, what? They had They had victory. They were winning the battle. But when Moses' hands went down, what happened? What happened to God's people? They got pummeled. When his hands were up, God's people were thriving and winning. When they went down, it's a picture of prayer, isn't it? So he couldn't keep his hands lifted, so who came alongside him? Aaron and her and lifted up his hands. Aaron, under the law, Aaron and the priests, when they would bring the wave offering to God, it would be lifted up, and it was symbolic of total consecration to God. Dudes, are we totally consecrated to God? Are we lifting our hands so that God's people might have victory? Are we lifting our hands to perhaps hold back judgment upon unbelievers that they might get saved? Let me share a few more places. Solomon lifted up his hands in prayer at the dedication of the temple. Ezra lifted his hands in brokenness over the condition of his people as he prayed. God's people lifted up their hands, blessing God in preparation for the word of God in Nehemiah. In Job 11, verse 13, Zophar, remember Zophar, one of Job's golfing buddies? 
Zophar suggested Job prepare his heart and lift his hands toward God to get help. Psalm 28, verse 2, crying out in supplication to God for our personal needs. Psalm 44, 20, the psalmist says, don't stretch out your hands to a false god. Psalm 63, 4, in God's name, we lift up our hands to bless him. Psalm 88, 9, calling daily for help with our hands lifted up. Psalm 119, verse 48, we lift up our hands to God's word. That's an amen. Thank you. Psalm 134, verse 2, we are commanded to lift up our hands and bless God. Psalm 141, verse 2, our prayer rises like incense and the lifting up of our hands like the evening sacrifice, total surrender. Psalm 143, verse 6, longing and seeking the Lord with lifted hands. Jeremiah 431, crying out to God with lifted hands. Lamentations 117, um, lifting up hands for help. Lamentations 219, intercession for other people, lifting up our hands. Lamentations 3, 40 to 42, hands and hearts are lifted up, hands and hearts in sync, lifting up our hands unto God in the heavens. And what kind of hands are we to lift? What does it say? Holy hands. Hands that are consecrated. Hands that are set apart for the master's use. And listen, the only way, dudes, we can have holy hands is if our hearts are holy. Holy hands are connected with a holy heart. Holy hands are a product of a holy heart. A heart given over, consecrated, to Jesus, dudes, is your heart consecrated and given over to Jesus? Set apart for him. Notice what else it says, dudes. This, doesn't this hit home? Lifting up holy hands, and then it says, without what? Without wrath. Isn't that one of the issues we deal with as men? Nobody's honest in church. Anger and lust. Not me, man. I don't struggle with none of that. Without wrath, without anger. Not walking around like a ticking time bomb. Everybody has to walk on eggshells around you. That's without wrath. Without wrath means there's love. There's love flowing from my life. I'm not an angry man. I'm not bitter. I'm not holding on to unforgiveness. Dudes, let me give you like a little, uh, little homework, a little HW, if you will. Ask those people that are closest to you, would they say that you're a loving person? Would they say, yep, dad, hubby, he is a loving person. Person, or would they say, Man, we you're full, man, we walk on eggshells around you. You are a time bomb waiting to explode on us. If that's the case, listen, this is great. The Lord's exposing our hearts, isn't he? This morning. We confess and repent and forsake that. Ask the Lord for help. Say, Lord, my my heart, there's a problem in my heart. It's not my Irish temper. It's not the devil made me do it. It's not, oh, the woman you gave me, Lord. You don't know what they did to me. No. You bring your heart to the Lord. 
and say, Lord, I need, I need help in this area. I am not a man that is without wrath. There's anger, there's bitterness, there's stewing, and I'm ticked off. And I'm... You bring it to the Lord. Let the power of the Holy Spirit work in your heart and in your life. Listen, none of these commands, none of these exhortations, none of the things that were... Re- these are, this is impossible apart from Jesus, his help. Are you with me? And what has he given us? He's given us the helper to help us to do this. The Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit to be men that pray, to be men that what? That walk around with no wrath, that we're lifting up our hands, we're praying for others, we're not getting ticked. You can't pray if you're ticked off at everybody, (laughs) right? Or complaining about everybody. Without wrath and without, what's 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 the next little nugget? Without doubt. Some of your Bibles may say disputing. Doubt, listen, doubt, Jesus talks about doubt all the time. Don't have doubt. You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When you pray, don't have doubt. Trust the Lord. We learned last week, right? With the, remember the fig tree deal that got withered up? Doubt, James chapter 1. You need wisdom. What are you supposed to do? If you need wisdom this morning, what are you all supposed to do? What are we, ask, and what is the promise? God will give it to you liberally he'll pour it out into your life but let that but ask in faith without doubt without doubt that's the new word without doubt that's half doubt half faith good english right you english teachers like man this guy butchers stuff (laughs) don't let that man suppose that he'll get anything because he's wishy-washy he's like to and water tossed to and fro and I would say this morning, we listen, we are to have confidence in God, hearing our prayers and answering them. Listen, this morning, we are to be men, we are to be faith-filled men. Especially in light of the times we are living in, is it getting brighter and brighter, gooder and gooder, better and better? That's bad grammar. There's no gooder and gooder, Mike. It's getting worse. It's getting, the darkness you can feel. Listen, as men in the church, this is our instruction to be faith-filled men that believe that God is in control and that his purposes are coming to pass and that he's given me a second chance as a man to serve him, to give my heart and my life over to him, to serve him before my time expires, to invest in that which matters, invest in that which is eternal. We are to be led by love and trusting Jesus, trusting him and his word. Listen, someone, someone else lifted up holy hands without wrath and doubt. You remember who it was? It was Jesus on the cross. For you and for me, he lifted up holy hands without wrath. Remember what he said? Father what? He prayed, Father Forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Without, without doubt. Well, wait a minute. Didn't he say, Father, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Dad, where are you? Yeah, there was a disconnect in the fellowship between the Father and Son that would never, ever happen again. Never happened in eternity past and never would happen ever again. Why? Because he was absorbing the pain and the suffering for your sin and my sin as he hung there all alone, naked and humiliated. 
There was no doubt because remember in his last words what he said, it is finished. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I don't feel your presence. I'm not feeling a connection with you right now, but I trust you, Dad. I'm coming home. We want to be like Jesus, dudes? We need to get the hands up and surrender. Surrender to the Father's will. Surrender to his plans, his purposes, to his word, being obedient to his word. Otherwise, listen, we're just paying lip service, men. We want to be like Jesus, we lift up the hands and, and surrender. I need you. Father, your will be done. It's not going to be a walk in time bomb, doubting Thomas. I'm going to trust you. Even when I can't trace you, I'll trust you, Father, as you lead and guide me no matter where I go. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. Amen? Gals, we're good? All right, let's wrap it up. <laughs> mm. All right. It's interesting because <laughs> some people are like, Paul's like a sexist. Man, he's like a massage, massage, what is it, Mas uh, massage therapist. <laughs> he's a massage therapist. <laughs> he's a misogynist. How could he say these things? Listen, this is straight from God's heart to ours, and the, the willing vessel to deliver the truth was the Apostle Paul. And again, this is a sex-saturated culture that they were living in, the church was living in, and that worship, that idolatrous, idolatrous immoral, immoral uh, worship had permeated the church, had affected the church. That's why he has to give these instructions. And the temple prostitutes that were involved with the worship of Artemis and Diana there in Ephesus at that time, they weren't looked down, up, down upon like they were like some off-scouring of the community. Those temple prostitutes, they were elevated. They were looked up to. People wanted to dress like them, to look like them, to take their cues from them the way that they appeared. And they, and they dressed seductive. They would do the braids and they would wear the ornate, all these things that he's mentioning here. And in that culture, godliness was, was minimized and, and there was a low view of marriage. And now the Apostle Paul is reminding Timothy, here are the men's roles and here are the women's roles in the church. Here's how things should roll out, if you will. And I would say for gals, you can either, you can either live on the side of artificial glamour or on the side of true beauty of a godly life. So number one, we see in this next verse, verse nine, God's desire is godly women, not worldly women. Okay, you guys ready? Good? Okay. He says, look at the verse, verse nine, in like manner also. Similar to the instruction for the men is the idea, being free of anger, being wishy-washy, being free of doubt, trusting the Lord, just like in verse 8, men were told what is beautiful to God, here is what is beautiful to God for the ladies. The women adorn themselves 
in modest apparel. And that word uh, adorn means to decorate, to garnish, to trim, to put in order, to make ready. And so they are to adorn themselves. It also means to make more beautiful and attractive, to add luster. And so what is beautiful, he says here, in modest apparel. And and modest means more than just not dressing seductive or sleazy. I I wrote down a definition. This was actually, I think it was like Webster's. It's dressing so as to avoid impropriety or indecency, especially to avoid attracting sexual attention. And so modest apparel. Listen, we don't need to define it. The Holy Spirit will show you, correct? Do you guys believe the Holy Spirit will show you, gals? We don't have measuring tapes out there to see, you know, that dress is, hey, get home. Or we got a smock for you over here. (laughs) Got some robes. We got the, bring, you know, ushers, get the robes out. The Holy Spirit will lead you. When, When Tanya and I were at Calvary Chapel in Las Vegas, you can imagine the people that would come to the church. There were people from prostitutes, the, uh, that whole entertainment, adult entertainment uh, industry, they would come to church and, and they were barely wearing anything. And then they got saved. Praise the Lord. And then it was so interesting because they would come back the next week and no one needed to tell them, hey, you need to cover up. You need to throw some clothes on. The Holy Spirit had already showed them, and they came in modest apparel. They weren't trying to draw attention to themselves or be seductive. They just wanted to please Jesus, and the Lord showed them. And I love that. The Lord will show you on this, correct? And propriety means with a sense of honor, respect, and reverence towards God. Moderation has the idea of self-control, not going to an extreme. The idea is balanced. What about this braided hair? I can't dress like Pippi Longstocking. And some of you guys are like, who's Pippi? You guys remember Pippi Longstocking? Anybody? Google it. No, <laughs> she had some killer braids. Again, this was the the. Does that mean I can't have dreadlocks at church? That's not the idea. Again, the idea that he's carrying here is not to do things in a showy way to draw attention to ourselves. Who do we want the attention to go to? To Jesus. Whether it's our hair, our outfit, our, our, our gold, or pearls, or any of that stuff, I think the heart of this is Paul's saying, don't make yourself the center of attention. And again, your value is not in how you look physically or what you have on externally. Ladies, do you know that? The world will tell you, you don't measure up, you got to look this way, you got to look that way. Your value is not in your physical appearance. Your value, what matters is what matters to God. What does he value? Listen, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by him. And it is Christ in you, the hope of glory, and you let your light so shine before men. 
Jesus said it. Don't worry about what you're going to put on or put in. That's what the heathens and pagans worry about. You seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And you know, they, Ephesus was an affluent town, wealthy city. And in, in wealthy cities, often in the church, you have those that have a lot and those that have barely little. And everywhere in between And what can happen sometimes is when all the people that are wealthy are wearing the slick outfits, the dresses, the gold, and all that stuff, the people that don't have those things begin begin to feel inferior. Um, I've seen it happen where people would say, I'm not even going to go to church. I won't fit in with that crowd. And listen, love doesn't parade itself. Not everyone can afford the fancy jewelry and the designer clothes and so forth. And again, you need to be led by the Holy Spirit in this. And it's okay to look good, by the way. It's okay to look your best for the Lord. No one's saying, don't look good for the Lord. You know, I'm going to come in next week in my sackcloth and ashes, Mike. Thanks for, thanks for that message. <laughs> but he says, look at verse 10, the heart of the text, your adornment or your clothing is to be consistent with your confession. For that which is proper for women professing godliness, your attire is to be consistent with godliness. You, you dress in such a way that people see the inward you with good works. Good works, by the way, are the best adornment you could ever have. Good works are that which is fitting, appropriate for gals that say they follow Jesus, serving others, caring for others, reaching out to those in need, helping those who are hurting. That's the stuff that is beautiful to the Lord. The inward beauty of your life and the things that you do as you are led by the Holy Spirit. Would you say, ladies this morning, that you're a follower of Jesus? Would you say that you're a godly woman, a woman of God? What is the most important part of your outfit, your ensemble? Is it good works this morning? Listen, and, and I don't mean to like drop some kind of bomb on you guys. If we are spending more time on the physical and external at the expense of the internal in investing in our inner person, then there's a problem. That should be the most important part of our lives. Is that the inward woman, the inward man, is investing in that which is eternal. Are you guys still with me? We're done? No. Not even close. Verse 11, point number two, women are to be learners and not usurpers. Look what it says. Verse 11, let a woman learn. Isn't that great? Just stop right there. Let a woman learn. Women need to learn. How do we learn from our Bible study, correct? Some of the best Bible students are the women in this church. 
Do you know that? Some of the best Bible students that I know are women in this church. They are studious. They study their Bibles. They're learning their Bibles. They come to me with questions. And sometimes I'll say to you, go ask your husband. Because that's what it says in 1 Corinthians. And it says, women, women are to learn in s- s- silence. <laughs> Listen, si- silence, <laughs> silence does not mean speechlessness. Can you imagine if the gals never said a word, dudes? Like, yeah, heaven, we're there. No. <laughs> just kidding. Just no, no, no. Just, just kidding. <laughs> just a joke. That word, listen, that word silence is used three times in this chapter. It's used in this verse, the next verse, and in verse two earlier. It's, it's, I think it's better translated peaceable. Remember what we learned last week? If we pray, if we're men and women of prayer, we will lead a quiet and peaceable life. Yes. You guys like quiet and peaceable, yes? Peaceable or gentle or it speaks of tranquility. In other words, gals learn with an attitude of peaceableness, being tranquil, chilled out, being mellowed. Maybe those words help out a little bit. With all submission. We don't like that word submission, but submission's all around us as believers, isn't it? We all submit to the Lord. We submit to the governing authorities, right? Wives submit to your husbands and all things and so forth. There's submission. Our soldiers, our military people understand submission 100%, don't they? Correct? It's so hard for us. But that word submission right there means to obey or to be in subjection to. So as the word of God is being taught by the godly men in leadership, the pastors, as the word of God is being taught, the woman is learning, and she's tranquil, she's peaceable, and she puts into practice the things that she's learning from the Word of God. Does that make sense, everybody? Hopefully. Yes? No? Je- Listen, the example is Jesus. He was submitted lovingly to the Father in all things. Again, He's always our example in this. And so, gals, in compliance with God's Word, obedient to the Word of God as the male leader is teaching the part of the service where he's giving instruction from the Word of God. And so uh, learn quietly, being teachable, receiving, yielding to God's Word. And then verse 12, number three point for the ladies is um, gals are to be ordered and not unruly. Ordered and not unruly. Paul says, and I do not permit a woman to teach or to have authority over a man. And so gals are not to be, according to God's word, are not to be instructing men in the church, nor are gals to exercise dominion or govern over men in the church. If you have a King James that says that, you are not to usurp authority over the man. 
to willfully assume a position of leadership over the men in the church. And so the phrase also means to act on your own authority. But to be, here's our word again, but to be in silence, peaceable. So gals are to quietly learn and be led by the godly male leadership that the Lord raises up in the church, which we'll learn about next week in chapter 3. Make sense? Gals, their role is not to be one of teaching men or exercising authority over the men. She's not to be the pastor or the co-pastor, nor is she to be in the pulpit ministering the Word of God to a mixed audience. However, there are plenty of opportunities for ladies to teach in the church. Listen, before I talk about that, I believe, this is my own personal opinion, I believe that women... This is a blanket statement. I believe women are better leaders and better teachers than men. One amen from a dude. You, you get it? <laughs> because by and large, I just look at how many men step up to lead, to be men of prayer, to be men of the qualifications. And men, including myself, would rather go home and, by and large, blanket statement, and God has called men to lead, and it takes a work of God's Holy Spirit and surrender to do what he's calling us to do. And it takes a work of God's spirit for the gals to say, yes, I will let that, even though he's a knucklehead, I will let him, even in the home, dudes were called to lead, correct? Is that, no? Is that the book says, dudes? Who's to lead the home? Uh, if little Martians came to your house and said, take me to your leader, who would they, who, and who would your kids point to? There's no Martians, by the way. <laughs> oh, I hear about that. Now they got a website to go, and you can tell about your experiences. That's demonic, by the way. Great deception coming. Get your eyes on Jesus. Doing what it says, facing the book, not in Facebook, facing the book. Where was I? Okay. It takes a work of God's Spirit for us as men to say, I will step up and lead as I'm called to, and gals to say, yes, I will cooperate and support that leadership. Are you with me, guys? I'm seeing some blank stares. Maybe, listen, maybe it's not happening in your home right now. That is a home that is out of order. That's why there's tension and friction and chaos. And this church is so blessed because the men that are called to lead are doing what they're called to, and the gals in this church are doing what they are supposed to do, cooperating and helping and supporting those that are called to lead in ministry. Amen. Thank you. <clears throat> gals, women teaching women, Titus chapter 2. The older women or more mature women are to teach the younger women. I believe women, we'll see in just a moment, are called also to be involved in children's ministry, to raise up this next generation, to be involved in pouring God's word into them and be an example to them. The apostle, or uh, Timothy rather, Timothy was taught by who? Who was Timothy taught by? At his house. His grandma and 
mom. Paul, yes, but we're going to learn later, right? Also, remember Apollos, Priscilla, and Aquila came alongside to teach him. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, we see women are able to use their spiritual gifts um, also in church services as well um, with certain applications. And so, um, beautiful. Qualified men are to feed and to lead God's flock, and they're called to make the spiritual governmental decisions leading the church as they are led by the Holy Spirit. Listen, it is not an inferiority issue. It's not an intellectual issue. It, listen, it has nothing to do with value or ability or importance. It has everything to do with God's order. Everything to do with his order. And he, his authority, God's authority has been given to the men in the church. Qualified men. And we are all called to be submitted to God's word, to do what he's called us to. This is how he wants his church to be run. And listen, there may be some people saying, well, wait a minute. I'm reading this, man, but, you know, my college professor was telling me different. I was in a church where they said it was different. Is this really still valid for today? Or was this some cultural thing only relevant to Ephesus? And I think God anticipated that because of the next verse, next two verses. Look what it says. You guys still with me? We good? We still good? Okay. Paul, where does Paul go? Where does, he, where does he take us? All the way back to creation. And it's evidence to support what he's just communicated. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. This was God's order from the beginning. Not only does this apply to marriage and the family unit, but also for the church as well. This is the basis for the commands and instructions. Our God is a God of order. He, he made man first, correct? He looked at Adam and said what? You got a problem. Yeah. You need help. Listen, married men, God said the same thing to you and me. You need help. And that's when he brought your radical Christian babe into your life. No amens from the dudes? Okay. <laughs> Honey, I said, I'm talking about you, babe. Right? You guys remember this story? God, right? Adam right there in the garden, all alone, needed a helper, comparable to him, not beneath him, not above him, comparable to him. You need help, and I'm going to bring help. And what did God do? Our father brought his daughter down the aisle to give to Adam. Why do we do that? Why do the dads bring their daughters down the aisle? Because that's the way it rolled out in the beginning. The father bringing the bride to the groom. And then them becoming one unit. One flesh. Beautiful. And then what happened? Then all of a sudden, right? What happened? You guys remember what happened? Adam bombed. Adam bombed in the garden. Correct? You guys remember this story? Satan came. It says it right there. 
Adam was not deceived. He did not get tricked by the devil. But the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. And so you guys remember the story. The devil came, questioned God's word. The first question in the Bible is the questioning of God's word. And then he made her feel like she was insufficient. She didn't have everything. You're lacking. God's holding out on you. You're not going to die. Liar, liar, pants on fire. And it says Eve was deceived, but Adam, he sinned with his eyes wide open. Why wasn't he leading her? Babe, you know we are not to eat that fruit. Where was he at? What was he doing? Can I ask us guys, where are you? That's what God asked Adam afterwards, wasn't it? Did God not know where he was? I wonder where I put him. Camo fig leaves, man. That's, that's where it's at. Why do you ask him that? Did God not know? He knew exactly where he was. Where are you? Listen, where are you this morning? Guys. We are to be their loving rescuer, their provider, their protectors their leaders. We are to lead like Jesus, not to lord it over them. Gals are to what? Are to submit to our leadership, to cooperate, even if he's not doing it. What if he's not the loving rescuer you're talking about, pastor? Should I still obey God's commands? What do you think? (laughs) Yeah. But what about this last verse? Oh, by the way, some people believe, like why does Paul make that point in verse 14? It's possible Paul was making that point that gals are more susceptible to deception. It's, it's a possibility. That's what, I don't, listen, I didn't say it. I'm just saying some people say that. What about this last verse? You guys get that last verse good? We good? Is this a weird verse? That's a promise. Because gals may have the concern that, is my importance lost with this authority structure? Is there meaning and purpose in my life now? I would say, listen, by God's design, he has given you a vital role, a crucial place. You are irreplaceable. You're in a place of tremendous privilege as a woman. Look what he says, nevertheless... With all that being said, she will be saved in childbearing. What? I mean, I'm going to heaven if I have kids? (laughs) What if I don't have any babies? I'm doomed. Is that what that's saying? No way. She will be saved. And, And that word saved, yes, it does mean rescued from hell, headed to heaven. Is anybody grateful for that? It does mean delivered to safety. But it also means, listen, that word also means, sozo in the Greek, it means safe. It means a place of safety also, a place of security. Oh, that's interesting, isn't it? As we look at the word, what it means, she will be safe. She will be in a safe place in what? In child 
bearing. So not just bringing life into this world, but being a mom, bringing forth children, and being a mommy, and training up those kids in the way that they should go. That, Paul's saying, God's saying, that's the place of safety. That's the place of security. That's a beautiful thing. Isn't it great, moms? Isn't it an awesome thing to be a mom? When that baby comes, you brought forth life. It's a miracle, isn't it? And it's awesome. And then you're holding that. I got to hold the babies first when they came. And it was like I had to do the handoff. But it's like, wow, got my nose. And <laughs> but it's a miracle. Dudes, we can't do that. I don't care what they're trying to do. Nonsense. <laughs> and you hold that life. But maybe you're, maybe you're here today and you're like, you know what, I can't have babies. What about me? I'm glad you asked. Because you too can be involved in the childbearing, in the training up and the raising up of kiddos. How? By investing in the little lambs that God brings to church. You can be a person that invests in others spiritually, making disciples. Maybe it's not physical offspring, but it's spiritual offspring, and you are storing up your treasures in heaven, and it is a blessing for you. It is a blessing to serve Jesus Christ, by the way, seeing people come to know him and coming to walk with him. Paul, or John said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. There's no greater joy. It's open for all of us. But look what it says the rest of this verse. We've got to finish it off because that's the, the pronoun changes. She will be saved in childbearing if they, what does it say? They continue. Who's they? Women? Man and woman? Yes. If they remain, abide, endure in what? In faith, trusting Jesus and his word in love, caring for others, divine, sacrificial love, and holiness, holiness is Christ-likeness, with self-control, keeping their desires, emotions, and impulses in check. Man, that is the place of safety, gals. That's the place of security, he's saying. If you continue to do what? To follow the Lord's instructions, to follow his lead, to walk in Christ's likeness, to be self-controlled. And self-control is a fruit of the Spirit, by the way. And so the place of safety, gals, simply raising up godly kids, whether physically or spiritually or both, trusting the Lord, loving God, loving others, growing in Christ's likeness, living a life under the influence of of the Holy Spirit. And you know what happens? As, as you grow in these things, as we grow in these things, what happens? Our influence grows. And gals, you are just as influential as men, <laughs> raising up the next pastors, leaders, politicians, doctors, dentists, or whatever. 
the next generation of godly men, because what? Because that's what God desires. Malachi, God said in Malachi, what does he desire? He desires godly offspring. And you have that unique privilege and blessing, gals, to do that. That influence that is so beautiful in your home and in the church. And so by God's design, listen, we are to complement one another. Amen? Listen, God asks, has us, you and I, go against the natural propensity of our flesh and our culture. Our flesh kicks against this. No, no. But, w- but when we surrender and say yes to the Lord, what happens? He shows himself mighty on our behalf. We experience his power and his blessing when we decide to do it God's way. Gals playing a support role with a gentle and quiet spirit. Men leading and praying. Men step up to, to be and to do what God has called us to do. And we work harmoniously together. Correct? You guys ever been to an orchestra? I'm going to finish with this. Last point. Finally, Paul says that. Finally. You guys ever go to like an orchestra? What are they called? Orchestra? What is it called when they play together? What's it called? Symphony. I always forget. Symphony. You ever been there pregame before it starts where they're warming up? Anybody ever been there before they start warming? It's awful. Because they're all playing at different times and. It's like, this is awful. Why? Why is it? And then you sit down, you take your seat, and then all of a sudden they start playing together. Oh, and it's harmonious. Harmonious? Harmonious. Another new word I made up today. It's a good one. And it's beautiful because there's order. They're playing together. And what happens when we do play our roles and we follow the instructions Listen, the Lord hears the melody, and he gets all the glory. Amen? In Jesus' name. Lord, thank you so much for this, Lord, the weight of this passage. I pray, Lord, for my precious brothers and sisters that they would take away the things that have come from your heart this morning, that we would truly walk in these things and be obedient, Lord trusting in the power of the Holy Spirit to do what you have called us to do. And you said, Lord, that we would have peace like a river as we obey your word. And I pray that my brothers and sisters would experience that in their homes. We continue to experience that in your church. That as we obey your word, we'd experience fruitfulness everywhere that you would lead our feet. We trust you, Lord. We thank you. And this morning, as we're still in an attitude of prayer, as our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, perhaps you've been listening this morning. I don't want to labor this any longer, but maybe you've been listening this morning. This is for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray for you. Those that, man, you're saying my home is out of order. We're struggling. We need prayer. I need prayer. Can I pray for you right now? If that's you this morning, God bless you. Anyone else, God bless you. God bless you guys. God bless you. I see your hand. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Anyone else? God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. 
Praise the Lord. God bless you. Anyone else this morning? I don't want to stop if the Holy Spirit is working. God bless you. God bless you, brother. I see your hand. God bless you. God bless you, buddy. Anyone else? God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you, bro. I see your hand. God bless you. Praise the Lord. Anyone else this morning? You need prayer. Let me pray for you. I see your hand. God bless you. So sweet. Jesus is here with the power to heal. And by raising your hand, you're saying, Lord, we need healing in our marriage, in our home, with our family. He's the only one that can fix us and heal us, by the way. Anyone else need prayer? I want to pray. God bless you. God bless you. Awesome. God bless you. Praise the Lord. God bless you. Anyone else? You pray for us. God bless you. I see your hand. Yes. Awesome. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for my precious brothers and sisters. And Lord, you know all the details. You know what's going on. And, and Lord, as they've lifted up their hands, as they've lifted up their hearts, Lord, in confession and crying out for help, this is their time of need. And, and Lord, you tell us to come boldly before your throne of grace, to find mercy to find grace to help in our time of need. And Lord, this is their time of need. They need your help. And I pray, Lord, that you would blow them away with your goodness, your glory, your power, that you would bring healing and help to these situations, to these families, to these homes, Lord, and that from their homes would be exported amazing fruit into the workplace, into the church. God, they would experience, just as you said, peace like a river as they choose to do what you've called them to do, what you've called us to do. And so thank you for how you are going to work. I just want to lift them up to you now. I thank you for them, your dearly loved ones. Remind them of your love today. But you're not finished. You are at work. You're working all things together for good in their lives. And as we're still in an attitude of prayer, maybe you've come in here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. He loves you. He demonstrated his love for you and for me by coming and dying on the cross for your sins and my sins. He suffered, died and was buried and rose again on the third day. And he's offering forgiveness, eternal life, a fresh start right now to you. Will you come? Will you respond to him? Today is a day of salvation. You come just as you are. Let me pray for you. If that's you, would you raise up your hand this morning? Let me pray with you. Awesome, I see your hand. Anyone else this morning? Anyone else? Anyone else? All right, you can repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me. I've sinned against you. Thank you for dying for me, for my sins. Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? 
Would you wash me and cleanse me? Make me new. You promised you would. Would you fill me with your spirit? I don't want to go back to those sins anymore. I surrender to you. And I love you, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for this precious one that has raised his hand. And we know there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repents. And so may we rejoice with those who rejoice. Thank you that our names are written in heaven. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for first loving us. And it's in your name, your precious and holy name, that we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Praise the Lord. Yes. Thank you, Lord. May the Lord bless you and keep you, and may his face shine upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand for one last song. generations falling down in worship to sing the song of ages to the land and all have gone before us and all who will believe will sing the song of ages to the land your name is the highest your name your name stands above them all. All thrones and dominions, all powers and positions, your name stands above them all. The angels cry.
we praise you. We give you thanks for your word, Lord. May you help us to put into practice what you taught us this day, Lord. May you fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that we would look to your strength and your resources, Lord, to do what you've called us to do, Lord. So please help us, we pray in Jesus' name.